I'm Sarah Connolly and today I'm talking to Guy Swarbrick. You probably know I'm a massive track fan and Guy is a photographer who brings us brilliant photos. He runs the trackcycling.net website which gives us loads of information and he common tweets from races live so of course I wanted to talk to him. Hello Guy. Hello Sarah. How are you? I'm very well thank you. Just about recovered from the weekend. I was going to say you've just finished shooting and tweeting the London Track World Cup. I mean, how was that? It was great. It was, it was hard work. It's, uh, I think I had three and a half hours sleep on the first night and three <laughs> hours the second night. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of work involved, but no, it was good fun. Yeah, because you kind of go there with about 15 caps on, don't you? Can you tell us a little bit about the different things yeah. you do? Well, I, I work for, for a number of different federations as a photographer. So uh, I supply photos to... I guess most of the English speaking federations um, mm -hmm. and Switzerland, um, <laughs> which is just a, just a historic thing. The Swiss are great actually. Um, and it's just kind of built up. I, I originally did some work for, um, for British cycling on top of the, um, the stuff that I do for my own website. Mm -hmm. um, and I just got asked by a couple of other federations to provide photos and, um, it's just kind of snowballed from there. So I was working for um, Switzerland and New Zealand are, are probably my two longest standing clients. Uh, but I was also working for Canada, um, Ireland. Uh, Aus no, I wasn't working for Australia this time. It's a lie. Um, <laughs> but I was in Mexico and I will be in Cali um, with somebody else as well. You did, you did British cycling, didn't you, for Guadalajara? I did, and I, again, I will do for, for Cali. Obviously, they have their own staff photographer, um, Luke, Luke Weber, who I've known since I started photography, actually, uh, in a different context. Um, but, um, yeah, so, so Luke covered London, but he's not going to Cali, so I'll, I'll be doing that as well. So I, I've always wondered, because you, your combination, I really loved it in Guadalajara, where you were kind of set, giving us the only live updates, I think. I mean, I don't think, I, you know, there's maybe one or two from other people, but you were the primary source of information. And your Twitter stream was full of things saying, oh, I I'm sorry if I'm not giving you updates, but I've got to focus on the day job. <laughs> are you there because you love it or are you there because of the cash? Not that there's anything wrong with being there for the cash. No, I'm there because I love it. In fact, the first, <clears throat> excuse me, I did the um, 2008 World Cup, um, which I did as a favour for a friend unpaid. Um, I did 2000, 2009 in Poland. I had a couple of clients and I maybe covered my costs. Um, but, you know, the, the way I looked at it in the early days was that if I wanted to go and watch five days of, of World Championship track cycling, I'd have to fork out a lot of money for a, an airfare and a hotel and, and tickets for every session. So even if I only broke even, um, you know, I was getting a week's worth of sheer enjoyment and, and it wasn't costing me anything. So you're basically um, the, um, you're basically one of those archetypical fans turned pros. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I actually, I started, I was a flat mountain biker um, in the, when was it? early 2000s um, and I found that when I did my race and, and then went home and looked at the, the official photos from the website there was always there was a small number of riders that got photographed mm -hmm. um, and the, the categories that I was in which I think I moved from beginner to fun or the other way around I can't remember <laughs> I think from beginner to fun I was never any good um, but they didn't even bother photographing my category yeah um, so I thought I could do better than that so I did um I did a couple of races where I would do my race and then I would take photos of everybody else. Um, and after a couple of races, I decided I actually liked the photography more than suffering during the mountain bike races. <laughs> um, so I started doing it uh, during the whole, whole event. Mm -hmm. And I ended up as the, the series photographer for the Gorick series in, in the kind of Hampshire, Berkshire, Surrey kind of area. Um, and I did that for a couple of years. And actually, I, I stopped doing that. My kids were both um, riding track at, at Reading. Um, and so I, I used the experience that I'd got from the mountain biking to take pictures of them racing. Mm -hmm. And I got more and more into track. Um, and I, I think the, the time came when I, I did a track World Cup at Manchester. 
um, and I had to miss a, a day of the World Cup to go and fulfill my commitment as the mountain bike series photographer. And I thought, you know what? I don't want to do that anymore. <laughs> I want to be at the track. Um, so that was that was when I, I kind of switched full time to track and, and a little bit of road. Yeah, I mean, track's addictive. I think I, I've I've said this before, but my gateway drug was track. I think we were watching, <laughs> we were, we were watching. I don't know. I think it was two thousand and eight um, Tour de France, and they're like saying, "Oh yeah, you can buy tickets for the Manchester Track World Cup." And we just rang up and did it, like without even, oh well, you know, Manchester's a nice city, and it sounds quite interesting. Why not? And then it's like, oh my god, I'm hooked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'd seen it on TV, and I, I'd. Um... My kids have been racing for, for a couple of years when I went to my first uh, proper indoor track meet, which I mm-hmm. think was the 2005 World Cup in Manchester. Um, and I was just blown away. I mean, it's just, Reading Track League is good. Um, yeah. Love all the guys who compete there every week. And, you know, the organisers are great. But, yeah, indoor track is, is something else. Yeah, I mean, it, there's something, it's so, it's almost the perfect sport for me. You've got all these different races, all these different personalities. And it's so fast. It's so full of adrenaline. And you can yeah. literally feel the air coming off the riders. You know, it's... Oh, you know. Yeah. I, sorry. I, I was thinking that over the weekend because, I, you know, obviously I, I get to shoot from the track apron. So you're, you're pretty close. Wow. And, and, and it gets pretty scary at times, um, especially when um, French Kirin riders <laughs> come hurtling across the track towards you. Wow. Uh, but I shot the 200 qualifying from the outside of the track with the, in the spectator areas, uh, which I usually do because there's a couple of shots that I really like to get from, from the outside of the track. Uh, and you're absolutely right. You know, the, the waft of air as, as Francois Pervy goes past you at, as he builds up to his mm. 200, let alone at, at full pelt, is, it, there's nothing like it in any other sport. Oh, it's amazing. It's beautiful. I was going to ask you, actually, this is one of my questions on my list. Have you ever been hit by a cyclist? I haven't. In fact, um, Montauban on Sunday, wasn't it, um, was probably the closest I've ever been. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've had riders slide past me quite frequently. There were a couple of crashes in the Kirin at, at Mexico that were pretty much mm. right in front of me. Um, and I don't know if you remember um, a Wang's crash in... Manchester. Oh my god, the one with the giant splinter, like something yeah. out of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. Oh. Um, that, that was coming off turn four at Manchester, and I was on the, the start finish line for that one. Oh. Uh, so that, that was relatively close. Yeah, with but the... I was actually I was the only person who got a picture of him riding with the splinter in his leg. Oh, oh, oh god. And the young Aussie running running across the line with his skin suit yeah. all ripped up like I'm gonna finish. Yeah. Well, <laughs> oh, I think no, the... New Zealanders, sorry, I'm sorry, New Zealanders. I'm sorry, Kiwis. <laughs> I'm trying to think who that was. Eddie. Uh, Eddie Dawkins. Yeah, yeah, Eddie Dawkins, and he was just like just just like in that haze of adrenaline and he was interviewed afterwards and they said, was it painful? He went, nah, Kiwis don't feel pain. Eddie's great. <laughs> it, it must be quite an interesting thing, though, because you must have to, that photographer thing of suspending your personal interest and, oh, my God, he must be in so much pain as a human, you know, as a human thought versus this is a great photo. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, with, with the Wang one, it was, it was interesting because obviously, you, you know, you see them with their their skin suits ripped to shreds, but you yeah. never, you know, that, that's partly what the, the material is designed to do. Yeah. So you don't really think about it. And I didn't know until I saw him being taken off on the stretcher with the splinter through his leg <laughs> that he had it there. When I took the picture, I went back and checked the, the picture on the camera and there it was. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm not big on, you know, running over to the scene of an accident, taking pictures of riders on the ground. I, I have no problem taking the picture of a crash as it happens. Yeah. And yeah. I think that usually the first, more so in mountain biking, but even in track, the um, the first two questions that most riders ask after they've had a crash are, how's my bike and did you get the picture? <laughs> so, you know, you, you, you're kind of obliged to, really. Well, that's, that's so interesting because, I mean, one of the things I, ha- I have an issue with is, for example... And this happens for road too, but I was particularly interested in London. Is you get all these cr- pictures of like you know the crash and the Kieran going up on someone's website, you know British Cyclist website or something, but you don't get the winner, and that bothers me because I can't I can't watch crashes because they're squ- they make me very squeamish. I'm a squeamish yeah. person, 
And it's kind of like, oh, well, I can see why people want to watch it, but equally it feels a bit... I mean, I can... Obviously, if you're taking it, because you must be just looking through your camera and just taking everything. Yeah, yeah, effectively. And and it's funny, I, I have... I've never understood how picture editors' minds work. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, to me, the, the, there are some interesting shots that happen during the race. Um, and, and big moments like crash crashes are, are worth including in a report. But people want to see the winner. You know? So yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm often criticised for standing in the same place for the whole time, which is not true. It's certainly not true since I got my Fitbit. Uh, <laughs> but I now do laps to try and work off a few calories while I'm there. Um, but you know, to me, having that picture of, of a rider on the line, doing the track throw, winning the race, is you know, it's one of the most important pictures there is. Yeah. And then you look in the, the daily papers and there's a picture of four blurry pursuit riders from the other side of the fence from the track centre. Or yeah, know, yeah, a, yeah. a rider celebrating with a flag. Now, I, yeah, they're nice pictures. They're nice human pictures. But they're rider winning or rider in action plus rider with flag. It's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there's that, I mean, as a, as a kind of, I've got a photography degree and the, the pictures of the kind of blurry riders with everything else in perfect focus. I mean, I was taking that the first time I went to Manchester, you know what I mean? And I can see why people like it and massively upped saturation as well. I can see why people yeah. like it, but it's... A massively upped contrast. Yeah, so. exactly. But it kind of makes me wonder because after a while, a lot of cycling photos look the same. And especially in tracks where even though, you know, there's there's not that much difference between Manchester and Guadalajara and Cali and Prishkao and Appledorn. You know what I mean? Like like when you're taking yeah. a picture, the, the difference is the, the feel of it, the tone of it, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I mean there are some differences. The Cali is very different. Um Partly because it's it's partly outdoor, so it has yeah. a roof, but it has no sides. It's lunatic. Um, How are they allowed yeah. to do that? It's not right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a it's a lovely place, and they're lovely people. I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward to January. But it rains on the track, man. It does does <laughs> rain on the track. Um, and there's a little story about Cali. I'll, I'll tell you in a second. But but the the track in Cali because it's it was originally an outdoor track is not Siberian pine. It's a, a very dark. Um, south american hardwood mm-hmm. so it's a very different look to the track um, so you can look at a picture of, of cali even without any advertising hoardings or or whatever and, and you can have a pretty good guess as, as mm-hmm. to where it was but the nice thing about cali or not nice thing interesting thing about cali was that it rained the week before um and a lot of the um the team's bike boxes got wet uh, and they took all the bike boxes and they put them in the basement of the velodrome mm-hmm um, and then forgot about them. <laughs> oh God! And, and it rained a couple more times, and the basement flooded. Oh my goodness! So by about halfway through the week, I think somebody went down into the basement, and they discovered that the bottom half of all of the bike boxes, because most of the teams transport their their bikes in cardboard boxes now, rather than because it's just easier. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and they were all soaked to a third of the way up, and and you know almost much. So. On the last day, as they were preparing to get to go home, it was a lovely day. They went down and they the stadium staff got all of the the bike boxes and brought them out and laid them on the grass outside the velodrome to dry, uh-huh. which was really nice until it rained. Um, <laughs> and all of the bike boxes got soaked again. Um, and the story that I heard, and I, I, I've not been able to verify this this is true, but there's some clues that suggest it probably was was that one of the guys from the Colombian Federation was also, I think it was the specialised importer. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he found out that this had happened, despite you know, it was a Sunday in a South American com- country, he phoned up the warehouse and had the guys unbox loads of, uh, of brand new bikes and bring the boxes down to the track so that the teams had new boxes to put their Oh, their that's bikes. so nice. <laughs> and so if it's not true, I'll... I'll, I'll yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to believe that. I'm just going to pretend it was. No, no, I'm going to believe that. I, mean, <laughs> I, I was going to ask you, I mean, obviously you've been all around the world shooting and being at World Cups, and I just wanted to ask you, like, you know, your best and worst stories. Um, yeah, there's quite a mix. I mean, the, the, the food's obviously a, a, an interesting experience yeah. at all tracks. 
Um, you, it's, you... it's either overpriced and awful, um, not mentioning any, any venues in particular, um, <laughs> or, you know, it, it's very basic. So it's often, I think, Prushkoff, you could only get a hot dog. Um, <laughs> that was the, the only option. Um, Australia was okay. Melbourne was okay until you got bored of pies. Um, and <laughs> that didn't take that long. Um, but Columbia, it was fantastic. They had a little food village outside the velodrome, you know, all sorts of local, uh, local delicacies. It was fantastic. Um, but the crowds are very different as well. So the, um, again, in, in Prushkov, something had gone wrong with the ticket sales. So there were, there was almost nobody there for the mm-hmm. first two days. So they, they brought in lots of school kids, mm-hmm. which it, it creates a very strange atmosphere. I don't know if you've ever been to a, um, uh, school international or whatever at, at Wembley for hockey. Or... <laughs> I've been I've been to one of the early sessions in Manchester where they've got the school right. kids in on the like back on the back straight. Yeah. So you, you get some interesting <laughs> cheering and um, <laughs> um, but it I thought it was great because it you know it was exposing a lot of kids to track cycling yeah, that they yeah, yeah. wouldn't necessarily have seen so so that wasn't a bad thing. Um, but the the one that surprised me the most I think I mean you know Australians are um, are mad about sport. As you say, lunatics? <laughs> yeah. Um, but you go to Manchester, and if there's a good race, and there's an Australian that gets away in the race, you know, the crowd will be behind them, and they'll stand up, and they'll cheer them, and yeah, if, if a Brit goes chasing after them, then they might change you the sporting, but they'll always applaud a good race, and they'll get enthusiastic about, mm. you know, a, a good entertaining performance, or even a gutsy performance that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, not in Australia. <laughs> Oh, really? So they, they cheered all the Aussies, booed all the Brits. Um, the only bit the Brit that didn't get booed was Chris Hoy, who oh, got really? a, a polite round of applause. I if there wasn't, if there wasn't an Australian in the race, they all left. No way, because that's the opposite. And then came back in again. But that's the opposite of Manchester, because you know, obviously, Anna Mears. I'm a very big fan of Anna Mears. I may have yep. screamed my voice out cheering at Anna Mears, and you know, it's when she get, and I know it's bad when you're at Manchester and she's going against Vicky Pendleton, but I just, I'm an Anna Mears fan. It is how it is, but I can't imagine that because I always assume that Aussies uh, I mean, would be Anna's cheering everyone. The, the world's smiliest person, as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, but but the you know the the low light, if you like, in that event was um, was in the team sprint, mm-hmm. um, and as um, Vicky and Jess were. In, inside the last 10 seconds, I think possibly even in the last five seconds of the count, um, somebody on their side of the, of the velodrome ran down to the, to the fence and shouted, Aussie, 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 oi, 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 at the top of his voice over the count. Oh, fucker. And, and that sort of thing is just, it put, put me off the place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So do you get the chance when you're out there to actually see the world, the places you're going to, or are you just basically off the plane to the velodrome, shoot, 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 edit, 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 home. Yeah, pr- pretty much. And, and, and you, yeah, it's it, shuffling between the the velodrome and the worst hotel you can get away with. <laughs> that, that that has good Wi-Fi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that that's, you don't get to see very much. Um, and a lot of the tracks aren't actually where they say they are either. Oh, really? Um, so Copenhagen is in Ballerup, which is quite a long way outside Copenhagen. Yeah. Um, off, people talked about it being in Warsaw, but it was, it's nowhere near Warsaw. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the places, there isn't actually that much to see. I mean, it, it's a bit like, oh, we've, we've finished in London now, let's go sightseeing in Stratford. Probably not. Someone once told me that velodromes are built in like the nastiest place you can possibly think. So if you go to like, I don't know, some beautiful city that has wonderful reputation, I don't know, Barcelona or something, your velodromes, well, okay, that's not true, Barcelona, but you know, your velodrome's going to be in some terrible slum 50 miles out of town. Yeah. I'm trying to think of one that isn't. Um... Barcelona's lovely, but then we don't get World Cups there anymore, do we? The Olympics, no. it's an Olympic village. So, but yeah, I, I have fond memories of marching across the car park to Asda in the hour that they kick you out <laughs> in the middle and it being full of track fans just wandering around looking really grumpy. Yeah, there's, there's not a lot to do. Well, I'm a city fan, so um, there's a shrine over the road for me. But, um, yeah, no, awesome. it's, not, it's not the best place to be. So, I mean, you've obviously been doing it for a long time and has track cycling changed in the time that you've been doing it in? Well, it's obviously become much more popular. I mean, I, I, I started on the, 
the start of the crest of the wave, if you like, of of our success. So yeah. 2007 was the the kind of game changing worlds for uh, for GB and Palmer. I didn't do that one, but um, yeah, after Palmer, everybody said, I think we won seven golds in Palmer, and said, oh, we'll never get anywhere near that again. <laughs> and then it was eight or ten in Manchester, and it, it just carried on. Yeah. Um, but the the kind of public popularity of the sport lagged behind that a little bit because mm-hmm. um, obviously the Worlds was before Beijing, so people weren't really aware of of what was going on outside the cycling community. We were obviously you know, gripped by it already. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, after Beijing, just the the change outside track cycling was that I could go into to my day job and have a conversation with people about track cycling because they knew who the people were, they knew what some of the races were. And you still have some slightly odd conversations where, you know, you'd say something about the Kieran and they'd look at you blankly and they'd <laughs> oh, that's the one with the little motorbike. Yeah. So, um, and, and then, of course, London just ramped that up. Yeah. Again, I mean, pe- people knew a lot more about the sport going into it, um, but it just it took people like Laura and, uh, and Jason and just made them into household names, which was was fantastic and Chris and Vicky already were yeah from Beijing um and yeah there's a few people around the GB setup you look at and you think yeah I, I don't begrudge any of the, the people who've, who've got the fame and fortune the fame and fortune but there were some people in that transition period people like Paul Manning and um Rob Hales yeah. who were a big part of of all of that building up who even though they were part of the the Beijing setup didn't get the recognition that, that some of the other riders Yeah, did. yeah. I, I think that's about Wendy Hoovenagel. I mean, yeah. you know, Wendy not getting to race in London, so not getting a medal. And then and Wendy, and the thing that annoys me most is that, you know, Wendy had been out there every year, you know, every year working yeah. and working, getting the points, getting the points and, you know, keeping the record up and helping new riders. And yeah, and that, that that's the thing that upsets me about British cycling. Well, one of the things that upsets me about British cycling setup because... I don't know, it just doesn't seem fair. And I know, like, you can't stamp your feet and say it's unfair about sport, but, it, you know, it does. <laughs> no, I, I, I had trouble criticising the British cycling setup, and I know that there are things that could be better and that yeah. things could be changed, and, and, you know, there are things that drive people mad. But you look at the, the, the results they've got um, and the production line's the wrong word, but mm. the the train of talent that they've got through, that they've got coming through. Um, and it, it's hard to argue there's anything seriously wrong. Yeah, I guess, uh, I guess it's the human side though. I mean, I think what's interesting, what's really interesting and great as a fan is that, you know, from 2008 to 2012, there was a couple of years where you could go to a world cup and you could not see any of the big British stars. Like yeah. you could maybe see Joe Rousel and Wendy Hoovenagel, but you wouldn't see Vicky or Chris or Jason or people like that. Yeah. And I can understand why I'm not criticising them, but it's a bit hard for a fan, you know, when you, you when you want to cheer for them. Well, and I think that's one of the reasons why the UCI changed the format for the World yeah. Cup. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And I think, you know, you talk about how track cycling has changed. I think one of the bad things that's happened um, is, and, and I, you know, I'm a big road cycling fan. I watched the Tour de France long before I even knew what a velodrome was. Mm. Um, but I think the expansion of the, the road season from, you know, the beginning of January to the end of November or whatever it is now, mm. um, I think it's been a really bad thing for, for track cycling. So the World Cup going from four rounds to three, I think is a bad thing. Yeah. Um, the, the World Championships moving forward to the end of February from back end of March, sometimes into April, yeah. I think it's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. And, and it was hugely criticised, and, and some of the teams still don't like it. I think the decision to say, if you want to ride in the Olympics, you've got to have ridden the Worlds, and if you want to ride in the world, you've got to ride in the World Cup Series. Mm-hmm. I think it was the right decision. Uh, I think there were people who were turning up to the World Championships and there were people who were you know, scraping the qualification criteria for the Olympics. You should never have been there. Yeah. And, and that was maybe acceptable when there were half a dozen European countries plus Europe and the US who, who did track cycling. But as it's become a global sport over the last couple of years, genuinely global sport... Um, yeah, it's fantastic to see Venezuela and Colombia in the, the sprint finals this weekend. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 
you know, I think you have to have that kind of structure in that says, right, there is a World Cup series. It's there for a reason. You need to take it seriously. Um, you know, I think Colombia this year is, is going to suffer a bit because everybody wanted to get some points on the board in Mexico. So they sent very strong teams to Mexico. Everybody wanted to go to London because it was the first chance to do a World Cup at the, uh, at the Olympic mm. venue. And, and most of the teams have got the points they need now. So I think you'll see some younger riders um, being tried out. You'll see smaller squads, you know, teams not entering some events, um, and you'll see some, some names you haven't seen before in, in Colombia, which for me is great, because you know, mm-hmm. some of those riders, if they're not at the Worlds this year, they'll be at the Worlds next year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People will be saying, who's Ollie Wood? Or you know, whoever it is that they've sent. And well, Ollie, I've known for years. But that, that, you know, there'll be riders that I'll that will burst onto the scene that actually those of us who go to every round will have seen already. Yeah, and and to be fair, that, that's how it always was with Carly, wasn't it? I mean, you'd literally have, when you had to ride two World Cups in a season, well, OK, yeah. we'll do London and Melbourne. Fabulous. Yeah. And and that's how it was. And, you look, you know, some of the some of the teams that you looked at being sent to Carly, you're like, oh, that's... So, or Beijing, that's like, oh, that's so, like, you know, you're so clearly... Yeah. The, the the not not the B squad that's the wrong word but the development squad I guess yeah. I mean I, yeah. I I do feel for someone like for example Becky James who's had a hell of a year and you know yeah. with her, with her, with her with her um her operation to get rid of cancerous cells and then her injury I I really really feel for her and I think it would be terrible if she doesn't have the chance to go but then on the other hand it balances this out because we're not going to get that Wendy Hoovenagel situation in the future. You know, we're not no, because, no. and you know, and I, I have mixed feelings about Becky. Um, Becky's great. I've known Becky for years, but she actually she managed to catch my daughter in the youth um, five hundred meter time trial. <laughs> <laughs> to be caught in the five hundred is not <laughs> the, the only redeeming thing about having been caught is that Becky went on to be... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Becky was, if you're going to be caught by someone, yeah. Becky's the one that you're going to be caught yeah, by. So but I think the other side of the, the human factor, and I think it is, it's a really difficult balance, is there's so much depth of talent. Mm-hmm. You look at some of the riders that have come through, whether it's Kira Horn coming in at a relatively, relatively old age, she'll kill me for saying that. Um, <laughs> I should say Kira Horn, trackcycling.net columnist. Um, or Eleanor Barker yeah. or Amy Roberts. You know, there's a balance between keeping people who've been in and done the work and you know, served the apprenticeship, if you like, in forever and bringing new people in. Because I think what you see in a lot of the other countries is that there's a generation that gets lost because they bring in a squad, uh, French team sprint squads, a, a great example, and it's the same squad for six years. Mm-hmm. So there's a bunch of riders that come up out of the juniors talented riders who are lost to the sport because they never get a chance to, yeah. to break through. Yeah, so yeah. I, I think balancing those two out is, is really difficult. And, and I think you, know, you see a little bit of, I think you see a little bit of tension at the moment with the, the team pursuit women because they're, it's such a big, strong squad. Yeah, so there yeah. are six riders and there's probably a couple more that you could think of, but there are six riders who you could pick any four and win a gold medal with, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and we have in the last two. You know, we've we've had all six of them ride either qualifying the ridiculous first round or a final. <laughs> yeah. um, you, you, as you know, I'm not a big not a big fan of the three stages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, it stresses me so much. I literally can't. I can't engage with it because it just makes me so angry. I I love temperatures. It's one of my favourite events, but it's not watching the same teams ride three team pursuits. I mean, at least in, in Mexico, it was over two days. Yeah, yeah. Watching them ride three team pursuits in the same day is not the most exciting thing for Spectacle. No, but the, also, the other thing I don't understand, and I've, I have this long, ongoing rant, that so, you know, we don't have that many medals in the Olympics. And, and what I don't understand is when you're sending a team pursuit squad of four riders, you could easily have back in, in the Olympics the points in the scratch race. And yep. the IP, and you could say, okay, anyone who rides the point scratch an IP has to be in your team pursuit squad. So you're not bringing any extra riders in. And when a country has to build a whole velodrome for the event, 
it just doesn't it just doesn't make any sense and it, it's a really difficult argument to push because you you get halfway through pushing the argument and you suddenly think actually one of the possible outcomes of this is the IOC turn around and say you're right there's no way we're going to really get the use out of that velodrome yeah. so let's not have a velodrome yeah yeah yeah, um, yeah, which, yeah. which is not the answer we want no. so it, it is a difficult balance and I know there's been some fuss today about um, some things that Brian Cookson said um, about mixed races in the yeah um, in the Olympics, which is an interesting conversation to have. I, I think the, um, the formats would be interesting, but it's being driven by another change. So the reason that you couldn't have points and scratching was because there was a cap on the number of events, effectively yeah. the number of medals. Yeah. It wasn't a cap on the number of athletes. It was a num number of, and now they're changing that to the number of actual events rather than sports and the number of athletes i think yeah the suggestion today so it, i I'm, I'm glad it's not my decision no i mean i guess it's when i mean i grew up i grew up in athletics and there's tons and tons and tons of different events but you could write you can run for example let's say the 100 and the 200 and the 100 meter relay and the 400 meter you know what i mean like there's, there's a lot of different chances and then you look at the swimmers <laughs> oh yeah i mean it, the swimmers drive all of this debate about how many track cycling events there are and swimming as far as i can tell there are fourteen thousand events which are all exactly the same yeah 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 and, and the one person who's won the most medals in the olympics is invariably a swimmer because you know michael yeah. phelps 18 gold medals or whatever it was you're like yeah but that's because you've got 25 sports give chris hoy a kilo a kilo and a half just sprint yeah. a double sprint and a team sprint and a, a mix but it's almost yeah, some of the variations are so ridiculous it's almost like saying right we're going to have four kilos we're going to have one on spoked wheels we're going to have one more double <laughs> disc and one, one you only have a five spoke on the front it's ridiculous and jogging's not much better i mean you have fast jogging and slow jogging and really <laughs> slow jogging and really really slow jogging and then the marathon that lasts a week and it's just not, not a big jogging fan. <laughs> I couldn't tell. I, I, that was very heavily... Head, head, head. No, I mean, I'll, I'll watch the 100 metres final, uh, the second fastest men in the world. But, <laughs> um, but they're, only, they're only half as fast as track sprinters, so I'll get carried away. I, I defy anyone not to go to a track race and love it, you know, like a velodrome. You have to go yeah. and see these... I mean, part of the problem, I think, with track cycling is when you get things like the points race and the Madison... It is a bit confusing when you're watching it on TV, but when you see it in real life, it just makes sense. You just follow the man who's pointing yeah, at the front of the I, race. You're absolutely right. I, I managed to get some... Uh, one of my other anoraks, of which I have many, um, is I'm a, a big Alfa Romeo fan. I'm a member of the Owners Club, and I was at the our local chapter, no, section, area section meeting um, the week before the World Cup. Mm -hmm. And I was chatting to a guy there um, didn't realise he was he was that into cycling. He didn't realise the World Cup was on, and he said, "Oh, I'd, I'd love to have gone." And shift pattern works; it would be great. I said, "Well, I'll try and get some tickets for you." So he managed to get him tickets to the Saturday morning session, Saturday evening session, and he absolutely loved it. And one of the things he said afterwards was the huge difference between being there and watching it on television is that the long races which are boring and confusing on television, it turns out they're boring and confusing because they cut all the good bits out <laughs> and they edit them together in a way that makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you're sitting there watching, I mean, he absolutely loved the Madison. So it was the yeah. best thing he'd ever seen. Yeah. And, and yeah, I, I'm not suggesting, and it does happen during things like the, the Worlds on Eurosport and stuff, um, I'm not suggesting every Madison be shown live on primetime. But, yeah, it does... So much better when you see the whole thing. Yeah, and the points race. I mean, I'm a yeah. personally my my cards on the table. I'm not a big fan of the time trials, um, but the points race just is 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 exquisite. But I think the first I hadn't really understood it, and then I went and I saw it, and and you know you've got the commissaire pointing at the start of the race, the front head of the race, so you can always see it. But it yeah. suddenly makes beautiful sense, and you've got the giant screens showing you who's where. And you're like, yeah, I can get this. This is this is brilliant. It's, it's another another tra change that's happened in track cycling since I started is the commissaires now stand right in the middle of the tr 
the um, the home straight and right by the Cote d'Azur pointing at the leading rider. Yeah. They now mess up one of the nicest shots, which is a shot down the... <laughs> Bastards. <laughs> there you go. These, so, these things happen. So, <laughs> getting back to your photography, because I probably should, I mean, how much... How much of a proportion of time is it spent shooting versus post-production? And how much work do you do on post-production in general? Um, as little as I can get away with, mm-hmm. um, which isn't meant to sound lazy. Yeah, the more, more you can get right in the camera, the better. Yeah. Um, I, I make life difficult for myself in the sense that um, I always shoot raw. I shoot yeah. raw plus JPEG. And, and if I'm in a real hurry, I'll go to the JPEG card first and, and find a, a picture for a client but mm-hmm. typically I'll transfer all the, the raw files over and I'll work on those which slows things down a bit um, but it does mean that you can be you, know, you can be a stop out on the settings and you can recover it and nobody mm-hmm. else. Um, I've also got <laughs> I've, I've never seen them but I have I think about a dozen uh, framed pictures in the Belgian Cycling Hall of Fame um, which my good friend Vim Hoster from Belgium recommended me for because i was the only person who had high enough resolution files to do the print size that Mm -hmm. everybody else shot jpeg um so it's it's a really difficult question to ask i actually or to answer it's an easy question to ask um i spend you know 11 hours at trackside taking pictures Mm -hmm. um, and i am a fool to myself because i first time I went to the World Championships, I took a picture of the first competitor of the day, um, who was a, it was an individual pursuit, and it was Thailand, I think. Um, and there was nobody else on the track. None of the other photographers were out, so they don't come out until the last eight or ten competitors, unless there's a Brit earlier than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got approached by the, the rider afterwards and said, did you get any pictures of me? Of course, I was the only one who did. So ever since then, I've shot everything mm-hmm. um which which doesn't make life easier <laughs> um and i'll tell you a little twist to that as well in a second but um so I, i'll shoot everybody and then when i get back to the hotel or unlike london if the media center is open for more than half an hour staying <laughs> for a while, um what i'll do is i'll go through and i'll find if I'm, if any of my clients have won a medal then i'll find the pictures of the medalist in action and the podium shots and I'll get them sent off first. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, they, they probably don't know this actually, but what I tend to do is I'll, I'll cycle through, um, I'll do a different one first every night so that somebody gets some pictures uh, more quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, because the only, the only efficient way of finding all of the pictures for the different teams that I work for is to scan through the whole lot and tag them by team mm-hmm. And then just filter out so that I'm only looking at one team and find all the good ones for that team, send yeah. all those off and then do the next one. Um, so I'll do a different one first every night. Um, and if somebody's won a couple of medals, they actually go to the back of the queue for all the other pictures because I'll do somebody who maybe didn't do so well um, next in, in line. And that takes between four and five hours. Um, so at a world, typically, you're back at the hotel between 11 and midnight. Um so you're up until four or five. And then you've, you've got, I think, the worst night in Mexico was two and a half hours before you need to get up and get the, the oh. bus. Back. Oh, that's but, painful. But there you've only really scratched the surface. Yeah. So uh, I think Manchester on Friday, I took just over 4,000 pictures. London. Uh, sorry, oh, London. Yeah. Yeah, no, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so L- London on Friday, I took about 4,000 pictures. Um, and I think I sent out 300 and odd edited ones, which probably meant that I looked at maybe between 800 and 1,000 properly. Oh, wow. Uh, so there's 3,000 sitting there that I haven't even had a chance to look at yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what I try to do is catch up with those later, but inevitably, you know, I, I, I know which events are most likely to be popular after the event. Mm-hmm. And funnily enough, it's the, it's the time trials. It's the team pursuits in particular. So team pursuits, the sprints, I will definitely get round to sticking a load more of those photos up on the website. Um, but some of them will just, you know, they all sit there on this nice radar array under my desk. Um, and if, if somebody asks for me, asks me for one, I can go and find them. 
Yeah. Um, but I won't have looked at them until I do. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the work that I do on them, um, somewhere like Cali, where the um, the fluorescent lights and the uh, the main cycle are such that the white balance is different for every shot. There's nothing you can do except correct the white balance afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the the good thing, is, I mean, Lightroom's auto white balance is pretty good, so I can select the whole lot and just say auto white balance yeah. while I um, have a cup of coffee. He lied. Glass of red wine, <laughs> um, and then I'll come back and I'll yeah, they're, they're all ready to go. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, sometimes no matter how much you plan where you're going to stand and what you're going to do, sometimes you haven't got a long enough lens or, you know, you, the, the best picture you've got in terms of composition is a little bit further away than you would have liked. So the, quite often they're, they're cropped a little bit. Um, but those, those are the two main things that I do. And I'm, I'm a little bit obsessive, I have to admit. If you look at, look at a lot of my photos, you'll, you'll notice that either the top right-hand corner or the bottom left-hand corner, and if I can both, I've got a line running through them. So <laughs> oh, I, I, if I can get the edge of the Cote d'Azur <laughs> or the red line or the part of the, the railing or the, the fence through the top corner, that makes me very happy. No, I, I, I actually got to the point where I was editing to not do that because I was doing it so much. <laughs> Because, like, I mean, I haven't shot that much track, like, and I think, but, you know, you go to the Newport Velodrome. I went to the Newport Paracycling Cup last year in yep. the Newport Velodrome, and I like to shoot with, like, a 50mm lens or film yeah. <laughs> in the wrong light conditions <laughs> because I'm... I'm, well, I'm New, Newport is always the wrong light conditions. Yeah, yeah. But it's kind of like you kind of find yourself going, no, no, I've got to... I've, so then you kind of find yourself doing exactly the same number of millimetres away, and then, oh, I may as well just do it. <laughs> Well, there's a nice shot that I, I, I take quite often. So when, I, when they're doing the 200 qualifiers, I tend mm. to take three shots. So I'll take a close-up of the, you know, almost a portrait picture of head and shoulders and mm -hmm. bars coming towards me on the fence. And then I'll take the one as they're kind of hanging off the track as they begin the 200 approach. And then I'll take one down on the track as they come out of turn four. Um, and that one, it, it's amazing. I've... I've I've looked at it myself and deliberately wrongly cropped them in my mind. <laughs> um, but if you have those coming out of turn four, corn, uh, turn four shots cropped so that the, the blue line comes out of the corner and then curves round and just touches the edge of the frame and then the rider sits nestled in that, it is remarkably better shot than yeah. not having it cropped. No, like no. I, I was going to ask you, how do you keep it fresh? Because... I mean, one of the things is when you, A, there's that, there's that tension, isn't there, between having only this very short window to shoot in, so you have to know how to set up your camera, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. but also not kind of producing photos that are just, you know, the same, same, same. How, how do you work that? It, it's difficult. And sometimes you just, you just find a shot that you've never taken before, and, and you think, yeah, that's great. And then, of course, that becomes your new cliche that you do for the next. <laughs> um, but... It, there are some shots that you, you can only play around with so much. So the finish line shot, yeah. particularly with the, the National Federation customers, they want a shot of their rider winning the race. Yeah. Um, so you haven't got much leeway to try anything much with that. So it's a high shutter speed. It's trying to get timing right to the wheels, at least on the white bit, if not on the black. Mm -hmm. um, but then things like the... Um, the pursuits are actually great because you've got 16 laps to try something. Yeah. So what I tend to do with the pursuits is I'll whack the shutter speed right up and I'll take one complete rider, almost side on shot, dead sharp, so that I know I've got one that I can use if I have to. Then the next time around, I'll zoom right in and I'll take another high shutter speed shot, but tightly cropped onto the, the kind of head and arms and, and aero bars. And, and once you're happy that you've got those two in, I'll then you know, turn the shutter speed down a bit and try and get a little bit of blur in the background mm -hmm. on those eight, same two shots. And then hopefully I've got eight laps to play around. So I can go to really slow shutter speeds. You know, I, I've got some nice shots, particularly in a full velodrome, um, shooting in with the camera in portrait mode mm -hmm. um, and wide. 
and a slow shutter speed. So you get the ride of the track and the crowd in a sort of vertical segment. Um, but you, you can't really try those things until you know you've got the shots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because And this is what I'm going to ask you about your common tweeting, because I I completely, absolutely love the fact that you were giving us live Guadalajara updates, but I was especially loving that you were not holding back on you putting your personal opinion in there. <laughs> That's just me. I never, ever, never knowingly hold back from no. giving on anything. And, I, and I, I made a comment to somebody on Twitter the other day about um, not all my opinions are necessarily my own. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, the... the you do get a sort of rapport with the, the, the people who follow you on Twitter. So it, sometimes I'll say something that I know are going to get a reaction that yeah. aren't necessarily. There was a comment that I made, uh, which didn't actually get the reaction I expected, um, at London where I said something about, um, and now we have the Omnium flying lap, which is 30 minutes of endurance riders demonstrating why they're not sprinters. <laughs> I expected all the endurance riders to be up in arms. But when I looked... Um, Sofia Areola from Mexico and a couple of the other endurance riders had favourited that, that comment. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't yeah. think they enjoy. I don't think they enjoy doing it. No, no. It's. I mean, the Omnium. I I've grown to love it. But if I had the choice, you know, if anyone kind of gave me a choice between the Omnium and the individual race and the individual, you know, bunch races, I'd have them. You know, my ideal scenario would be having all the bunch races and the Omnium because that's more yeah. bunch races. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's where I am, and I think you know to, to give the UCI credit, and they don't often get much. Yeah, when, mm. when they when they introduced the Omnium, and we know why they did it, they did it to get yeah. as many events as they could into yeah. the Olympics through the back door. And, and yeah, and things like the devil, them. which they couldn't have had before, which I will thank when, them forever. Well, I love uh, it. See, I, I, if you go back and look at trackcycling.net at the time that they did that, I was really, really anti that. I love the devil, and I think as a track league mucking about... And, and learning bike handling skills, yeah. race, it's fantastic. But I was very much of the opinion that it was not appropriate to have it in, in the Omnium for a couple of reasons, not least of which is you can imagine a scenario in the Omnium where a couple of teams collude yeah. to, to make sure that somebody gets, gets out early. It could easily be done. Um, and, and I just wasn't convinced that it had any place there. And it's been fantastic. And I think the decision to put it as the last event on day one was brilliant, and, yeah. and I think it didn't hurt that Laura Trotz saved that. Oh good. my God, Laura! Uh, Laura gives me her riding well, she, in the back every. Well, she lap. doesn't do that. She doesn't do that anymore, fortunately. No, because everyone did, else has picked she? her. Everyone else yeah. know now, don't they? Because you know, no yeah. one's going to let her get away with that. But, but, but that was that was heart stopping, and you oh. talked to her parents about that, and, and yeah, so they're, they're glad she does it a different way. Yeah. But then when they introduced this this change this year to have the points race at the end, I thought, no, it's going to distort the results. It means that you could have somebody who's not that consistent, but a fantastic mm -hmm. points race rider. And, and actually, it worked fantastically well in Guadalajara. It was close enough that, um, you know, it, it created two fantastic points races because yeah. it wasn't certain who the winner was going to be. And it was, I think, down to about sixth place could have got a medal, even discounting, you know, Sofia Areola. In, in Guadalajara took two laps and, and looked as though she was going to take a third, which would have put her into contention from nowhere. So, you know, it, it really worked. I think it worked less well in London in both races. Yeah. Because the leader was so far ahead. Yeah, yeah. and their defence, their riding defence, that was the defence. They were riding. riding defensively. And actually, if the, you know, if the second place rider had taken two laps and won all the sprints, they still would have been, you know, Laura would still only have had to score a couple of points and she still would have uh, yeah, yeah. won it. So oh, it, yeah. it, it took the edge off it a bit. What's interesting, though, I, I've got a good friend, Canadian photographer, Rob Jones, um, who uh, he has a fantastic setup where he's, he runs a, a website called Canadian Cyclist. And um, his wife, Tracy, does all of the reports and um, I think she does a little bit of tweeting as well. Um, so he just concentrates on the, um, on the photography and he does some post-race interviews and stuff. Mm -hmm. But Tracy went away and calculated... Since the introduction of the previous format, you know, about the time it was introduced prior to being in the Olympics for the first time, she recalculated all of the results as if the points race had been the last one mm -hmm. and used the new point system. And I think there were two changes to the podiums 
and they were both bronze and silver swapping, or one of them was the person didn't get bronze, they would have got fourth, and the fourth place rider would have got bronze. But it basically made no difference. Yeah, I so it, it kind of it makes it more exciting. Yeah, but actually the the same rider probably would still win. Yeah, it's just it's more fun. And I think the other thing about it, and this is a really shallow thing, but I think the other thing about it is the winner gets to do that arms in the air couples of laps of honour. Yeah, absolutely. Because there's something, I didn't like it finishing with the 500 metres or the kilo. I just, I mean, I'm not a big fan of that anyway, but, um, you know, there's there's no chance to actually celebrate and for the crowd to kind of get on their feet and cheer them all. So say you had Yolene and, and Laura, I mean, I, I can't remember if they did that this time, but, you know, for example, riding around the track, congratulating each other. That's still yeah. quite a beautiful moment. And maybe Kirsten, you know, riding, riding, <laughs> riding half a lap behind them and getting cheered too. The worst example of that was, I've become quite friendly with, um, with Aaron Gate from New Zealand. Mm. If you remember in Minsk, um, I think there was, I'm trying to remember who it was, but somebody had a problem during the, the kilo. And... It meant that they had to ride again. So Aaron finished his ride, and the other person could, in theory, have have won the medal. Mm-hmm. So because I already had, but it hadn't been a, a problem right at the beginning. So I had a picture of the guy starting, and I had a picture of him a couple of laps in. Um, so I didn't really need any pictures of him doing his potentially medal winning. <laughs> so I stayed in the in the Kiwi pit and, and just trained the camera on on Aaron. So I got fantastic reaction shots when Aaron realised that he'd won the, the medal. But the, the crowd didn't. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, there was, I think there was one TV camera there. But you quite often get it in sprint finals as well, where actually it's, it, it looks as though it's going to a decider. And then the rider that took it to a decider gets relegated. Yeah. So the other rider wins the gold medal in the pit, and I hate that. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, there's no way, to avo- no way to avoid it. No, but I think that's why this new Omnium format makes me happy. As a fan, it makes me happier. But I think one of the things is just being able to cheer, you know, just being able to cheer for them. And, you know, yeah. when you've got someone like Boger, who, when he's come to Manchester, where we're all about Chris Hoy, Jason Kenny, you know, um, Matt Crampton, etc. And Boger rides around the track, absolutely willing the crowd to cheer for him. And you have to get on your feet and clap for him because the force of his personality... And I just like that moment for, you know, Laura or Yolene or, or you know, or, or Ed Clancy or whoever it is. Oh, absolutely. It's absolutely just, great. Yeah. I, I, it does require the scoreboard to be, to be done properly. <laughs> yeah, no uh, kind I, of recalculation of times. I mean, poor Christina well, Vogel in the team sprint. Well, it was that. But were you at um, the Revolution in London? No, I've never it? been to Revolution. You need to go. It's good. Oh, you see, it's, no, you see, hence six days on my list first, and maybe yeah. um, six days are on my list first before I go to Revolution. Yeah, the food's better at Berlin. The racing's <laughs> better. The atmosphere is better again, apparently. But the food's good at Berlin. Um, <laughs> but the um, what they did, they they ran an Omnium over the Friday and Saturday, um, which Laura won all six events mm-hmm. in. Um, but the the scoreboard was the scoreboard for a points race. So it didn't, they didn't start with their points that they'd accumulated through the Omnium. And everything you've just described about how the crowd get involved and none of that happened because nobody knew what was going on. <laughs> nobody could work out whether... And they knew Laura was going to win because she was winning the point yeah, yeah, yeah. But nobody could work out what was happening behind her because they had to do the mental arithmetic and actually they had no way of knowing what the standings were before the, the start because they, you know, they weren't... <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, so that makes it harder. I mean, I've, I think what I've loved about going to Manchester is like you've literally got the people who are massive fans and probably rider families who've got their notebooks and are making notes with their pencils, yeah. you know, and know exactly what's going on. And then you've got people who've never, ever, ever been before but don't know. And then you might accidentally sit next to a rider or a rider's parents or something. Yeah. Or and that's that's the kind of weird thing is like it's almost a community crowd where people go, "What the hell is going on here?" And you explain it, and they love it. Or you'll go, "Oh my god, I never knew that about him." Yeah, yeah, he's my little brother. He's the best rider ever. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other the thing I love about Revolution um, is you know that the, the elite racing is good, mm-hmm. and and one of the best things that happens in Revolution is it becoming a UCI qualifying event. Um, Oh, you, you want to edit this out? I just noticed Manchester City have scored away at Rome. So. Um, <laughs> but one of the, the nice things is that 
they when it became a UCI qualifying event, um, you no longer knew who was going to win. Yeah. So, <laughs> there were times at Revolution where you would stand by the, the gate as the riders were going out, and you would hear them talking about, you know, so and so's allowed to get second, but somebody else is being given the win because it's his last race or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and the crowd, I think most of them didn't know, but you could tell watching the racing. Not every race, but a lot of the races, it, there was an agreement as to who was going to be in contention at the very least. Yeah. Because it's UCI points scoring, all of that's gone. And, and the, the best example of that was um, was the points race at the last one, um, where I think everybody in the crowd was expecting Pete Kenner to win and, and he didn't. Um, and that, to me, that was, that was great. But the other thing that's fantastic about it is the, the future staff. Yeah. You know, some, of, some of the riders who are on the GB squad now, um, a couple of them my kids rode with, but you, know, you could go there and see them riding at 15, 16 years old in front of a huge crowd. I mean, you asked my son about some of the best experiences of his life and it was riding the revolution because yeah, for the, for those kids, it's a fantastic opportunity. They're treated exactly like the other riders. Uh, okay. They get three relatively short races, but they're riding in front of five, 6,000 people. Um, as you say, a lot of the people who are there are not died in the wall track fans. So they don't know Cam Swarbrick from Vim Strittinger. So they're all there asking for the riders' autographs, and, and the future stars kids are, are signing autographs, you know, alongside, um, you know, whoever it is that that week, and that that's just fantastic. Mm. And the racing in the future stars is fantastic as yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, they I'm do all... flat out. I'm all for young riders getting this chance. I think I was, I was talking to Becky James's dad at the Hookside Cyclocross World Cup, and his 16 year old daughter Fionn was racing her first yeah. World Cup. Uh, cyclocross world cup and that's just like imagine doing that that's you know that that kind of just having a chance to kind of really right this is if you work for it you can be at the front yeah i mean that that's my my the best part of my non-track um cycling photography is i've done the uh, the junior series for the junior men's road series for bc for the last couple of years um, and i've done some most or all of the the youth series and the youth series is under eights through to, to under 16. Mm-hmm. Um, so riders who are now, you know, making a bit of a splash, uh, Alice Barnes in, in mountain biking. You know, I've been watching and photographing those riders as kids coming up through the, um, through the youth series. Um, and there's some, some fantastic riders coming through. Jess Roberts and, and Ellie Dickinson, probably the two that stand out from, from the last, 12 months, two years. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and, and yeah, but at that age, they, they do care and they do work hard, but they're having so much fun. Oh, that must be beautiful. Well, I've taken up a ton of your time, but where can people find you on the internet? You're on Twitter. You've got two Twitters, don't you? Uh, I have, I actually have many more than two Twitters, <laughs> but there are, only, there are only two that, well, in fact, really, uh, there's only one that's relevant. The, the Guy Swarbrick one doesn't really get used. So it's, it's track cycling that's there. Uh, the main one. Um, Excellent. And you've got your track cycling website, um, trackcycling.net, and that's where people can buy your fabulous calendar, an absolute bargain <laughs> at only, only 15 quid for an A2 calendar. There aren't many left, but there are still some left. So yeah. basically, if you really want one, you've got to get your orders in fast. Get to that website <laughs> right now. Yes. Um, and then there's a couple of other places. I'm on uh, Instagram mm-hmm. um, as I am track cycling, um, <laughs> which is a, a Nikon joke for those of you Follow there. No, I'm a Canon girl. A Canon girl. I don't. I don't know Nikon. Nikon doesn't exist. I sympathise. <laughs> um, one day you'll be able to take pictures in low light and in focus. But, <laughs> not for a while, yeah. mate. That's um, why, that's why I've got my Holger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and then where was the other place I was going? You have your photography website, don't you? you? Have a website where people can buy your photos from. There is, which I, I, has a variety of different URLs because I, I like to collect URLs. <laughs> um, but the most interesting one, one of the new domains, if you go to swarbrick.photography, um, that will take you to the to the photo sales. Yeah. Website. So if people want a picture of, um, well, a wang with a, a, a stake in his leg and or riders winning. 
Yeah. And or a vast collection of um, ones where the lines line up from the top corner to the bottom corner. There's an awful lot of those. <laughs> so Swarbrick, Swarbrick, Swarbrick dot photography, and anywhere else? Yeah, there are two uh, Facebook pages. Right. Um, so there's a track cycling page on on Facebook, which is usually just pointers to things that are on the website. Mm-hmm. If you go to the website, you've seen that. And there is actually a Guy Swarbrick's photography uh, page, which is is mostly cycling, but um, I play around but portraits and landscapes and yeah. cars and aeroplanes and all sorts of other yeah. stuff. And, that and, well. and so if anyone's looking for a photographer for all their photography needs, they should come to you too. I am quite happy to talk to anybody. In fact. <laughs> well, thank you for your time, and I look forward to following you. And people, you should absolutely follow Guy on at Track Cycling because he'll give comedy updates all the way through the Carly track with track champs and track Wi-Fi willing yeah wi- Wi-Fi willing battery willing um, yeah. not having all to actually do your day job not being run over by riders or coming down with food poisoning absolutely <laughs> well thank you so much for your time uh, thank you Sarah and good luck cheers thank you